When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome. Welcome. How much saliva does a five-year-old kid produce? It's the Improbable Research Podcast. I'm Mark Abrams, editor of the magazine Annals of Improbable Research. This is all about research that makes people laugh, then think. If you like what you hear today, consider supporting us at our website, improbable.com. Here's fluid dynamicist and creator of the website FYFD, Nicole Sharp. What's the title of this paper? Estimation of the total saliva volume produced per day in five-year-old children. This was published in 1995 in the Archives of Oral Biology. The authors are S. Watanabe, M. Onishi, K. Imai, E. Kawano, and S. Igarashi. And they're from the Health Sciences University of Hokkaido, Japan. First of all, let's look at their little summary at the beginning of their study. 15 boys and 15 girls were asked to record for two days the time spent awake eating meals or snacks, and sleeping. The salivary flow rates elicited by chewing foods were also determined. They go into tremendous detail. They talk about some history here. To estimate the total salivary flow per day, Watanabe and Dawes in 1988 studied the effect of different foods on the flow rate of whole saliva and determined the length of time spent eating and awake each day. Now, this Watanabe they mention here, who had published a paper about, what, seven years earlier, that's the same Watanabe. He was at work there for a good long time studying saliva in young children. How did they do it? At the beginning of the main study, unstimulated whole saliva was collected. The children were seated with head down and saliva was collected for five minutes by being allowed to drip off the lower lip into a weighed container. They swallowed immediately before the collection and at the end forcibly spat out any saliva remaining in the mouth into the container and the increase in weight was determined. Now, you are a scientist who has worked with fluids in many different kinds of situations. In your professional experience, is this method that these scientists use going to reliably collect what they're hoping to collect? Is it going to give them the information they're hoping to get? I think it certainly has its flaws, but I'm not sure that off the top of my head I could come up with a better way of trying to measure that. What are some of the flaws that are evident? Well, you have to be careful not to lose any saliva to swallowing, uh, which is something that they say in the next sentence, the children were watched closely so that swallowing did not occur during the five-minute collection period, but good luck with that. I've been in an MRI machine before. Trying to not swallow for five minutes is rather hard. The paper lists the uh, kinds of foods that were swallowed by these five-year-old children during the five-minute saliva collection periods. The six representative foods were 
were steamed rice, sausage, mashed potato, cookie, apple, and pickled radish. Do those strike you, Nicole, as being a good broad sample of different kinds of foods when your interest in life is saliva? It actually makes a certain amount of sense to have some representatives, if you will, from uh, lots of different types of foods and flavors. Can you talk to us a little about the relation between each of these kinds of foods, steamed rice, sausage, mashed potato, cookie, apple, and pickled radish, the relation between each of those and saliva? One possible thing you might expect is that the more the person likes that type of food, the more likely they're going to salivate over it. So maybe the cookie gets more saliva than the apple for the kids. Also, things that tend to be drier, I think, will stimulate more saliva production, though I don't know if that's scientific accurate or true. So I could imagine that maybe rice or mashed potatoes would get a fair amount of saliva. I also, for some reason, just mentally feel like pickled radish would uh, make you salivate. Something about the tartness. The paper goes into quite a bit of detail about how the children chewed and what they did in addition to chewing. There's a however listed here. However, instead of swallowing, they spat out the food bolus into a previously weighed container. What is a bolus? It's a chunk of food. So after you got done chewing and if you swallowed the food, you would swallow the bolus. And when you spit out a food bolus into a previously weighed container, what does that mean, a previously weighed container. You weighed uh, how heavy the container was before you spat into it. So you can take the final weight and subtract the initial weight and tell how much was spit into it. Have you ever weighed a container before you spat into it? Not before I spat into it. Have you ever weighed a container after you spat into it? No, I don't think so. Sounds like maybe you've never weighed a container. Oh, I've weighed containers before. They're just not usually full of saliva. Talks about how the scientists, after carefully getting the children to eat the food and spit into the container, about how they calculated the weight of the saliva that had been spat into the container. The volume of saliva secreted in that time was determined by subtracting the initial weight of the food from that of the food saliva mixture. There's a lot of weighing going on here. Yes. Now, every time something is weighed, doesn't that raise the possibility that some errors are being made about what the weight is? Sure, but you could make that argument with any measurement that you take. If you know what the uh, systematic bias is, to use the scientific term, then you can account for some of the uncertainty involved. There are mathematical techniques for that, which is why a bunch of the numbers say plus or minus whatever. What do you notice next in this study? Well, they note that there were no significant differences in gender in terms of the salivary flow rates or the amount of time spent awake and eating. So boys and girls uh, slobber the same amount. The paper goes into total eating time per day. How does that figure into what they're trying to do here? The total eating time per day spent by five-year-old children who salivate? Eating tends to provoke more salivation than when you're not eating. So if you want to figure out the salivary flow rate, you need to know how long people are eating for every day. It says that uh, in this study on five-year-olds, the mean eating time was longer than the values for adults. So children spend more time eating. Now, this is important because without saliva, you can't actually taste things. How do you know this? I actually went to a talk that was about saliva and tongues at a fluid dynamics conference last year. Saliva and tongues? And tongues, yes. It was entitled, The Tongue is a Sponge for Saliva. 
Who were the scientists who did this study? This was done by Alexis Noel and David Hu of uh, Georgia Tech. I think you're familiar with David. In case there's anybody listening who's not familiar with the work of David Hu. He won uh, an Ig Nobel Prize in 2015 for work that he did with one of his other graduate students on uh, urination in that case. Uh, but they've also been checking out tongues and saliva. Maybe you better clarify a little bit about urination here. More specifically, they looked at the fact that among mammals larger than three kilograms, I think, all mammals seem to empty their bladders in more or less the same amount of time in about 21 seconds. That's on average. On average. There are individuals who take longer and some who do it more quickly. Let's, uh, let's jump on down to the end of this study about flow rates of saliva in five-year-old children. When all was collected and weighed and analyzed and said and done, what did they have to say about it? Although children appear to eat far longer than adults, they have lower unstimulated and stimulated salivary flow rates and a longer sleeping time, so that the total volume of saliva secreted per day is very similar to that reported for adults by Watanabe and Dawes. In your own words, what do they find here? So when you take into account that children eat for longer and sleep for longer, they actually end up producing the same overall amount of saliva as adults. How could somebody, say a parent, how could a parent go about trying to test whether this is true in their own children and their own salivary well, secretion suppose, practices? I suppose they could uh, try to repeat the experiment with themselves and the five-year-old simultaneously and spend five minutes spitting into a container. Any advice that might help them get more scientifically reliable results than if they just rush out and do it without any previous thought? Make sure you have a good scale. Would a bathroom scale work? Oh, absolutely not. You're going to want a kitchen scale for this at the very least. Something that can probably distinguish relatively small differences in weight. So you're going to want something that is doing grams at least and probably fractions of a gram to really get in there. How about the, um, the container used to collect the saliva? Any thoughts about which containers would be good for this and what kinds of containers might be bad for doing this kind of scientific work? You're probably going to want one that's relatively lightweight so that the scale is not being overwhelmed by the weight of the container and can distinguish when you're adding material to it. You have something else that you want to contribute to this discussion? Yes. One final note also learned from that same fluid dynamics talk. Cows produce up to 45 gallons of saliva a day. Cows. Cows. Like moo. 45 gallons. What happens to that 45 gallons? I imagine a lot of it probably goes back into their stomachs in order to help digest all the grass they eat. But if you've ever been around cows, they're also pretty slobbery. Does More so than five-year-olds. Does that volume surprise you? It definitely got uh, a response from the crowd at the talk, I can tell you that. I think we were all pretty amazed by just that volume. That's a big volume. <laughs> Any idea how much saliva is produced on a typical day by an elephant? I don't know about elephants off the top of my head. I could ask my sister-in-law. Why would you ask your sister-in-law? <laughs> well, she did cognitive research on elephants in Thailand for a couple of years. Yes. So she was working with elephants every day. She could maybe tell me how much they salivate. Hey, when you spend all your time with elephants, you get to notice things. 
You've been listening, if you've been listening, to a genuine episode of the Improbable Research Podcast. I invite you to subscribe to the magazine, The Annals of Improbable Research, six new issues a year. Get yourself some back issues, too. Also, get lots of details about the Ig Nobel Prizes, upcoming events, what's in the magazine, and about how you can help and be part of it via our Patreon. All this at our website, improbable.com. It's possible that Seth Glicksman is the Improbable Production Assistant. Next time on this podcast, we'll look at something or other. Until then... Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>